0: What's up guys, welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor, my name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up folks, today I'm pumped to be joined by Michael Katz, CEO and co-founder at MParticle, the leading independent customer data platform. Michael got his start as an analyst at Accenture and later focused on customer acquisition and marketing strategy for a mobile content company. He entered the entrepreneurial world, founding Interclick in 2005, a data valuation platform for advertisers. And he ran the company as president and took the company public in 2009 and sold to Yahoo in 2011 for a whopping 270 mil He's been on the board of directors for several companies, including Adaply and Brightline. He's a volunteer at Southampton Animal Shelter. He's also a mentor at Techstars. And after a year as VP of Optimization and Analytics at Yahoo after his company's acquisition, Michael took on his second venture, co-founding MParticle in 2013. MParticle is a global remote-first company that provides a real-time AI customer data platform. They help get the highest quality customer data to any system that marketers or PMs use, ultimately improving CX. They work with big players and small, fueling customer success for brands like PayPal, SeatGeek, Venmo, Headspace, Lyft, McDonald's, and Airbnb some pretty cool logos there okay uh, thanks so much for your time I'm excited to let you rant and, and get spicy on some cdp topics today
1: yeah man it's good to good to be here and you make for a uh, an incredible hype man that was quite the <laughs> intro thank you
0: <laughs> yeah no no pressure uh i'm i'm excited to uh dive in uh to the package versus cdp uh debate obviously like this is super common in the data world but i feel like in martech and for marketers like they're still kind of like opening their eyes to what the hell a CDP is, let alone like the composable stack and the data warehouse and the modern data stack. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to like cross that bridge a little bit here. And, uh, wanted to start on the, on the package route, uh, become a big fan of, uh, data beats, uh, RP Chudri's blog He articulates the components of the package CDP better than anywhere I've seen, um, in his posts, the composable versus a uh, package CDP. So I'll, I'll read out the eight, uh, components for you. And, uh, curious like what your take is on, on are these the components in your opinion are they missing some of these does MParticle particle cover all of these uh sure. but yeah curious your your take there so number one is obviously the customer data infrastructure collecting first party data across uh, your website your apps number two is etl so uh, extracting data from all the tools that you're using business tools into a data storage component Number three is that data storage component, whether it's a warehouse or a database, storing a copy of all that data that you're collecting. Number four is ID resolution, so uh, tying together customers' various interactions across multiple platforms and devices. Number five is like a drag and drop UI to an audience segmentation tool to see what customers fall into different buckets based on the data that you're collecting. Number six is a way to extract and activate all that data from your data storage, whether that's called reverse ETL or data activation, basically pushing all that stuff to other tools. And then seven and eight are just like data quality, accuracy, data governance, and and privacy uh, type of components there. So are are you cool with these 8s like did would you add anything would you argue any of these curious your take
1: um so sh- shout out to uh to RP um he's he's the man I love the content that he produces um i agree with with those eight um uh, pieces of functionality that i think comprise a in let's let's forget package whatever that's like an end to end solution right um, cause we'll like, we'll kind of tear apart the, the, the nonsense argument in, in, in a bit, <laughs> but like, yeah, those are, those are probably the, the eight main components of at the very least, like the first generation of customer data platforms. Um, and very few are strong across all aspects of the, the functionality that makes up an end to end platform. At MParticle, we've always prided ourselves on being the most complete CDP because the value of these components which need to be integrated is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? Otherwise, mix and match from lots of lots of different vendors. And so you start to skip certain steps. Not all CDPs, most, actually most CDPs, don't have strong stories around data quality and data governance, right? So you're automatically operating off of like a a weak or unstable foundation. Um, And the the value starts to compound as you move from like the front part of of the pipeline or or, or system through the activation layer. So it's not just about how fast can you get data out into your, your application layer. It's about how how fast can you do it relative to maintaining some level of, of quality and um and, and consumer privacy protection.
0: Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So uh it, it sounds like we have kind of alignment there. I, I don't know how long it took RP to, to put that that list of eight components together there, but it seems to be pretty good alignment there. Like there are a few folks that argued that some of the CDPs are going into like the like, I know you guys are like going into the AI space a little bit, like that audience segmentation, plugging that into Vidora. We can talk about that uh, a little bit later. That acquisition that you guys made, but there's also some that are like introducing like a journey orchestration component to it, like not just segmenting folks, but also like pushing them into a journey, kind of like getting into CEP components, but. Um, yeah, maybe we can we can touch on uh, like the, the the debate a little bit like I know you, you talked about some of that set, some of that nonsense. So I want to unpack that. So reverse ETL and composable CDB proponents are, have been asserting for a couple of years now that the traditional CDB is becoming obsolete and that the future lies in composable that leverages the modern data warehouse um, processes like reverse ETL. They claim that existing CDB vendors will have to adapt to this shift or risk becoming irrelevant. You've written extensively about this debate over the years, and I find your stance particularly interesting. Uh, Recently, you argued that product marketing around the composable CDP is just modern-day sleight-of-hand tricks designed to kind of dupe the buyer. Um, And essentially, MParticle has adapted to the rise of the modern data stack, right, by offering services like the data warehouse sync and value-based pricing. So we'd love for you to to unpack this for the audience.
1: Yeah, so um, I would agree with... The statement that CDPs have to evolve, um, but I like what business doesn't have to evolve right. over, right? Um, you you strip out all of the kind of endless debate around package versus composable because it is all just like it's it's product marketing. That's that's all it is. But what I think is undeniable is like the rise of the cloud data warehouse as a really important system inside most organizations for them to be able to have a, um, hopefully have a single source of truth, right? Um, Now, the the problem is from a, just as like a matter of practicality, data quality varies widely um, across, um, even within an organization, but definitely across organizations. So it's not as simple as like, hey, stand up a data warehouse and all your problems are solved. There's a lot of work that has to go into getting it right. That starts with having a, a data strategy, but then also protecting the integrity of that data strategy through means by which you can ensure data quality and data integrity. Um, you can solve for this ever-evolving landscape of, of uh, uh, privacy and and, 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 and like the kind of ever evolving regulatory environment. Um, and so when you when you start to look at like the rise of the cloud data warehouse um, and, and you say like, well, how does this impact legacy CDP vendors like MParticle, I think we have to say, well, where do we deliver value on behalf of our customers and like where where does the market where has the market historically assigned value to our our capabilities? And what I would say is that it's never been in the in the storage or management of data, it's in the movement and, and activation of data. And so where where are we creating value? It's in the services and applications that we've built. Historically on top that sit on top of our proprietary data store, but are now being adapted to be able to sit on top of any data store, including the cloud data warehouse where the value is created. It's not just in having a segmentation tool. It's because, because those, those tools are now fairly commonplace. Mm -hmm. Um, It first was like the evolution from, um, audiences to, to journeys, because one of the limitations with most audience builders is that they can't take into account the sequencing of, of when things happen. So that was really the rise of of the, the, the journey tools within the CDP space. Um, but then the evolution has to be towards improving context and understanding of the data. It's not just about Collecting whatever whatever you think happened or whatever you think the customer feels like is is important, but also contextualizing that that information and starting to understand. You know the why behind the what. Why why did this happen? Where are their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities in the cust- in the existing customer journey? How do we optimize it? How do we mitigate any kind of risks? Um, and The introduction of of an insights layer, like that's primarily where where we've been focused for the past, I don't know, year and a half or so with a couple acquisitions that we did last year. Um, Because again, going back to my initial point, where do we create value? First, we help our customers ensure that there is truth in their data. Um, Then we have to help them find meaning in that data. Right, and whether that's looking backwards um, with indicative, saying, well, "Hey, what happened?" or looking forward with with cortex and being able to predict what may happen, and creating this infinitely optimizing um, loop, and then you get into the activation. Right. So I would, I would I I continue to vehemently argue that reverse ETL, when 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 tapping into a weak foundation it's just like it's garbage in garbage out and it's a faster path like faster garbage is still garbage and that's like that's all they're peddling and so my my point around like the sleight of hand um tricks is like they're they're trying to create distractions from what like the real issues are and the distractions as, as i call out are like the importance of um zero data copy which is actually not possible if you want to create a best best and breed stack. Um, then there's uh, this false narrative around the fact that CDPs are more vulnerable to to security threats, which also um, completely completely unfounded. Um, and then, you know the the, the last argument. Um, I th- I think centered. Keep me honest here, but I think it's centered around was it was it privacy or no sorry it was it was Master time, time to value yeah it was deployment times and and the point i would make is and the point i did make is that time to initial value is not the same as time to sustained value mm-hmm. something that's easy to get started on is usually harder to to maintain like nothing in this life, like forget CDPS for a second. Nothing in this life is is, is free, right? So you either pay for it on the front end, or you usually pay for it on the back end. And the back end payments usually contain compounding interest, right? It's like buying a house. So like we got Like we gotta separate all the all the noise. I, I I will commend the um these kids running reverse ETL companies. Like they have super aggressive. Product marketing and they've been noisy enough to to get a bunch of attention but like i'll say it here it's it's designed to trick the market it's not designed to create value for customers and and that's the problem i've had with it for the past couple of years
0: love it M- makes a ton of sense so like you're to unpack that a little bit, so like the the three main like value components that you guys provide as as you're kind of breaking it down is like first of all the source of truth, like making sure that everyone is aligned that like the data that we're collecting, the ID resolution that we're doing on users, like everyone across the business trusts that like this is the source of truth. Number two is figuring out how to move that data around, but not just that getting insights from that data, whether it's looking back on what people have done historically through look back windows, but also using uh, propensity modeling and uh, different pipelines to predict with propensity models what people might be doing. And then it's like activating that data and pushing it around. And your argument is that reverse ETL is really just the third component of that. So how can they replace a package CDP if they're only focusing on the last piece of of those three pieces, but I, when I chatted with Tejas on uh, at a high touch, like he his argument here was like, yeah, like he he agrees that like they they focused a lot on like making noise in the market to drive people and, and 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 get some some customers there, and they have some cool logos now, and and they've announced some some new funding, but like one of the things he said was like, some of our customers have replaced us from a traditional CDP. Because they have in-house ways of doing the source of truth already on the warehouse. They have other tools that are doing like the insights and moving the data around. And they just needed something to activate that data and push it to other tools. So like, quote unquote, they found a way to replace their traditional CDP with a reverse ETL tool. But yeah, I, I, I get your argument, but that's like, that's, that's the way that he's counteracting that.
1: Yeah, and, and and I think that that represents a very n- narrow um, sub segment of of the market, right? Like, if if we keep the conversation rooted in business value and what's required in order to optimize business value, like the the fragmented do it yourself approach doesn't necessarily get you there. Like, it's it's cool for like the the hobbyists, but I mean most most businesses definitely within the enterprise, like they 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 can't afford to just be hobbyists. They need to deliver something. And I think the day of reckoning is is coming. You look at a lot of the the sloppy habits that were developed certainly during the pandemic, but I think were a byproduct of of ZERP, right? Where you just had data engineers running amok and not getting proper business requirements and just doing things that they felt like were right on behalf of the business, given a very narrow and limited um, perspective of the world and little to no understanding of the true nuance and complexity of running um, successful digital marketing campaigns. And we've definitely seen that go away. Um, We've started to see reintegration of the end users into into the buying decision, so marketers, I would say over the past, I don't know, nine, 12 months have started to take the power back from, from the data engineers. Um, we're, we're a tool that is built for marketers, right? Like we make it easy once data is, is in the system to be able to, to, to contextualize it and then to activate it in a low code, no code manner right so you don't have to create custom sql scripts and do a bunch of transformations you don't have to know your exact schema right like everything is everything is available through like a point and click ui and that's just not the case with you know certain cdps for, for sure but but definitely a lot of the um, a lot of the tools that have been built for like the, the, the modern data stack or the data warehouse ecosystem. So like usability is, is still very much a factor. And like again, if, if we're focused on value creation, there's lots of different ways to get there, but the fastest path is usually, fastest path between any two points is usually a straight line. So there's value in having an, an integrated platform where there's seamless workflows and you don't have to work between if, if if what we're saying is like, there's eight different components to an end-to-end CDP. Yeah, sure, you could use eight different systems, but like what happens if and when something goes wrong? How do you troubleshoot across eight different systems? You have to get eight different account managers involved. Like the whole thing becomes a bit of a mess. So there's mm-hmm. a ton of value in, in, in the integration of components that can be configured um, In a way where you don't have to buy all of them and then and then customize to to meet whatever business requirements you have
0: i like the the troubleshooting angle there. that's not something i've read a lot in during this debate but it makes a ton of sense like rarely do things flow nicely all the time when it comes to pipelines and especially when you're doing this like configurable composable stack and you've got all these different components that are talking to each other or they're all sitting on top of the warehouse in in some shape or form something goes wrong like in your customer engagement platform you're you're getting the wrong data or like you're not getting updated data how do you start troubleshooting that piece i like the the argument there i want to go back to one of the, the the other points that you mentioned on on zero copy data um this is one that's like fascinating to me like with the whole like warehouse native approach to to doing martech especially um most proponents of the composable route will argue that like this is one of the biggest arguments in favor of composable, this cost saving idea. And it's a really easy way for product marketers to communicate this to, to marketing end users, right? Like CDPs result in a duplicate data storage. And that means you're paying for users that you're already paying in your marketing automation platform. You're already paying in your your cloud data storage. But in, in your Sleight of hands article, you said that data zero data copy is unachievable and that instead companies should still be focusing on minimizing data deduplication and boosting data transfer efficiency. But in Mm -hmm. one of your, your LinkedIn arguments uh, on, on David Chan's post, you said the, like, uh, the way that you coined it was really interesting. You said like, instead of the question being, why am I paying for another copy of my data? People should be asking which architecture delivers the most value at the cheapest cost. Essentially, again, going back to like the business value focus.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, look, the, at, at the at the center of the zero data copy argument as you called out the the implication is that copying data creates inefficiency in the form of, of excess cost right I would argue um, one like the cost of storage is not the it's not the big driver of, of cost. Um, it's cost of compute. I think everybody knows that. So, create as many duplicate copies as, as as you want. Like that's not gonna that's not gonna change things by orders of magnitude. Secondly, I, I think that it's been proven over time that um, there's a ton of efficiency to be gained by replicating data, right for for different uses and, and, and use cases. Um, so I would I would add on to the argument that not only is it is it um, not true, it, it may lead people down the wrong path, solving for the wrong thing. And that's just the cost side of, of the equation. There is also like the value side, right? At the end of the day, you have to minimize costs in order to maximize investable resources to, to drive growth, right? So, well to drive customer value, which leads to, leads to growth. We can't have the tail wag the dog. And that's, that's ultimately what a lot of these, a lot of these guys are, are recommending is start with a proposed solution without clear definition of the problem or opportunity, hone in on certain features or benefits of, of certain features, which Again, I would, I would call um, a sleight of hand. And, and, the, and, the, and then what? Like, where, where, does that, where does that leave you? It, it, it usually leaves people with shelfware, which is why, you know, the dirty secret behind a lot of those reverse ETL companies is they have a churn problem. They have a really, really bad churn problem because it sounds like an easy button and everybody wants an easy button until they press the easy button and they realize that things aren't so easy.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. I feel like the the zero copy data angle is like very related to like the warehouse native approach that I feel like I'm seeing more and more of these like MarTech tools uh, jump out in, into the market and say that like they're they're warehouse native. We We don't make a copy of your data. We sit on top of the warehouse. If you're you're using a warehouse, I chatted with one of the founders that that that's building like an Iterable Braze uh, competitor in the customer engagement platform space, but isn't creating a copy of your your user data and is doing it on top of the warehouse. And you mentioned earlier that like the copying the data isn't like the biggest cost uh, like issue there. It's really on compute charges. And he had some arguments like around compute and how he's going around that if he needs to be real time or whatever. And that like most of the time compute chargers are expensive because they're just like not sophisticated data engineers doing those SQL queries. But like the argument that I find interesting from a marketing user perspective on The warehouse native approach, uh, at least in like marketing automation platforms or customer engagement, is that like there actually is for me and a lot of companies, a real big cost to that data storage piece on those tools. I'll give you an example. So I was at uh, Close uh, CRM, a previous startup, and they're really big on organic traffic and, and generating free trials they were free trials, we were getting $0 from those users, but we had like a huge volume of those. And if you looked in our customer engagement platform, uh, customer IO, like almost like 80% of the users in that database that we were paying for were free trial users. And like, we weren't generating revenue out of them. A small sliver of them ended up converting to customers or whatever. But like, if we knew at the time that there were solutions where we could do the same things we can do in customer IO, but instead of charging us based on the number of users we have in the database, which like was in, in the millions, we could actually use a tool that charged us based on like how many seats we have on the marketing team. And we had a tiny marketing team because we were a startup. So like our costs would have went down by like 80%. I don't know exactly. Like I haven't used the tools there, but like that's that's one example where like there would actually be some pretty big cost savings by not duplicating a version of that. But the counter argument is like we didn't even have a data warehouse that closed at that time. So like that's the entry level prerequisite to those tools is like, you need to have a really good data engineering team, a good strategy that already has a pre-built data warehouse and it's like nice and clean, right?
1: Yeah, so I I hear what you're saying. If if we look at like the marketing tech stack and we say that there's an analytics or like data visualization component, there's going to be like a customer engagement platform, there may be like an experimentation tool, there's going to be like a customer support service like Zendesk or, or, or something like that. I don't know. Say there's like between five and, and, and ten different categories that you see um, across like most Martech stacks. Even if they were all built natively on the cloud data warehouse, like one who do, who does that benefit? Like that benefits the data warehouse provider. It doesn't. That value doesn't necessarily accrue to the um, to the customer. And then and then two. As, as you've um, uh, as, as you've started to create multiple data sets that are leveraged differently by the different vendors if they're all if they're all running their own compute cycles on the data warehouse how do you know that that's cheaper like you don't like theoretically it, it, it may be but I don't think anybody's ever, done like a side-by-side comparison. Like, at the end of the day, whether it's Snowflake, whether it's M-Particle, like, in, in, in a sense, we're all kind of reselling cloud compute, in a way. Either, like, very directly, with, like, a with a markup, or it's it's bundled into a, a set of services. Um, to, to just to assume that uh, there's inherent cost savings just because you don't have to create multiple copies of, of the data. Like I, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a great argument. I haven't done the, the side by side, but it would be, it would be curious for like the proponents of the warehouse native route to, to do that side by side. And it would like, vary greatly by company, right? Like based on, like you said, like how many of those Martech tools are using the state and size of, the of, yeah.
1: of, of data, like the, the amount of transformations that need to take place given the, the state of, of data quality. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of factors in, involved. And um, my my suspicion is that it would not come out that well it wouldn't be so clear cut that there are cost savings by running everything cloud like cloud data warehouse native
0: gotcha yeah it's a it's a fascinating space like how how fast it is it is moving like five years ago there were there were no like warehouse native martech tools or at least that that i'm aware of and they seem to be popping up every month now but just like the data landscape for marketers is is getting harder and harder to to track and, and like the, the compose and, and the package battle these days there's there's so much overlap with a lot of these tools like um, you guys made some interesting acquisitions and expanded on like the CDP capabilities. we have ETL tools that are adding reverse ETL features while reverse ETL tools are adding customer data infrastructure becoming more composable CDPs we have cDPs adding product analytic features. While product analytics tools are adding CDP features, we have CDPs adding marketing automation features while marketing automation platforms are adding CDP features. Um, You guys added warehouse connectors and and the warehouse sync there. But yeah, like some of the interesting acquisitions you made over the last few years, like you mentioned, uh, in January last year, Indicative, customer journey analytics platform to address this kind of like idea of data entropy. In August, you guys acquired Vidura, uh, AI personalization platform for customer data. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but like it seems like with these capabilities, um, Particle is adding an intelligence layer, like you kind of talked about a little bit, but like not many CDPs that I've evaluated have this. And not only are you kind of like capturing and helping customers move that data around, you're helping them make sense of that data, like, like we can we kind of talked about making predictions and looking back and seeing what people have done. How do you see this whole like martech data landscape playing out over the next few years? Obviously, like without disclosing like secret product roadmaps at NParticle, like what is the most exciting space from an NParticle perspective?
1: I mean, no, nobody even tells us or, tells me our, our roadmap anymore. I'm not even. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, look for for us. There's always been this like very deliberate strategy, right? Like we we started in mobile to solve the mobile data collection challenges which like if you unpack that it was about helping organizations move beyond the web right so getting them set up on a more durable scalable api based um based setup and we felt like as the as the customer experience would continue to shift towards mobile and away from the browser that that would ultimately become the new center of mass for a lot of consumer brands. And then we would use that um, beachhead in terms of solving unique mobile data challenges that nobody else was solving at the time to then solve for like the multi-channel data challenges. And the multi-channel data challenges revolve around things that I've talked about. like data quality and data governance Identity resolution when you have users moving between devices and, and, and platforms and you have these state transitions between being logged in and logged out or known and, and, and anonymous, having single users across multiple devices, multiple users across a single device. I think uh, just as an aside, identity resolution is probably the single most misunderstood aspect of probably most of this. Um, And so, again, kind of going back to our our evolution, uh, solving those multi-channel data challenges, we always felt like would be the setup for what would come next. And what would come next would be intelligence and automation. And after we raised our Series E in uh, late 2021, we we were properly capitalized to go out and make some bets and and accelerate our roadmap and the acquisitions of Fedora and and indicative probably accelerated our roadmap by like four or five years. Mm. Um, So I do see this, this as um, an important evolution. You asked about like the, the eight different components of an end to end CDP. And I, and I mentioned like those I think make sense for like the first generation. Um, But I think that I would argue that there's, that whole insights layer, which needs to be added, um, because in its current form, like if if you if you again strip out a lot of the product marketing, what is a simple segmentation tool? It's a it's a dumb pipe, right? But you have to know how to use it, and it will do exactly what you tell it to do. Right, so reverse ETL, dumb pipe. Most CDPs, dumb pipes. We are trying to move the industry forward, getting people beyond the, hey, I just need a faster force mentality. Because all of this, like, all this nonsense that, that we've that we've been talking about as a, as a CDP <laughs> space for, I mean, it feels like forever, but it's probably just been like a year, year and a half. Yeah. We're just continuing to rebuild the wheel. It's like, how do, we, how do we get beyond the continued optimization of first generation capabilities? How do we get into the next generation? And the investments that we're making um, are, are really in service of, of that. So you know, what you're going to see from, from us is a move towards um, being those intelligent pipes, because we felt we, and, and we still feel like the moves that we've made leading up to this point put us and by us, I really mean our customers in the best possible position to be able to extract the most amount of value from their first party customer data.
0: Very cool. I like how you put that dumb pipes and and intelligent pipes. I want to dive deeper into maybe simple
1: simple is a less (laughs) offensive way of, uh, of calling it what it is.
0: Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, we'll tweak that in the, in the transcript blog post, uh, (laughs) simple pipes.
1: (laughs) That's fine. Whatever.
0: Uh-huh. yeah i, w- I want to unpack the though uh like the, in, in one of our deep dive episodes on on ai uh we highlighted a few no-code low-code predictive analytics slash like ml pipeline platforms many of the big analytics players have one of these tools like clicks auto ml ibm's watson studio amazon SageMaker, google's auto ml but the, like all these ml specific tools are built for data scientists and what I thought Vidora, why I thought Vidora was super interesting was because it was built for knowledge workers and, and marketers. And I read that the founder's initial vision was to democratize machine learning capabilities, allowing marketers with the ability to build distinct pipelines from your customer data so you can produce various predictive attributes tailored to some of those like uh, particular applications. So I'd love to learn like how this has been molded into the, the MParticle CDB offering and maybe walk us through like some practical examples of how customers are already using this today.
1: Yeah. So let me, um, let me just kind of clarify a a few things. Like typically what you see in market um, is like, if, if there's a, if there's a tool, whether it's another CDP or whether it's um, in uh, a marketing tech application, like Braze or iterable, um, what, what they offer is like a single type of machine learning. So, usually in the form of propensity scores. Yeah. Who, who's most likely to engage? Who's most likely to churn? I think everybody wants to know that. But there's so much more to it. And one of the things that I was really impressed by when we started to get to know Alex and team um, was that they built out a, a number of different ML pipelines, right? Because part of the challenge is like, how is the data? how's the data treated uh, appropriately to be able to, to feed into the, the different type of model that ultimately you wanna build. Um, and so these guys have built pipelines to do regression testing, um, propensity scoring, uplift analysis, lookalikes, next best action, and, and, and a few more. And so we're not constrained by the different types of intelligence or automation that, um, that customers have access to. They have a, a, a full suite. And I think one of the things that we've come to appreciate over time is like, no two customers, customer data, it looks the same, is shaped the same, is treated the same, has the same set of, you know, restrictions and, and, and constraints. So everything is, is, is fairly unique, right? And for us, um, you know, I think the the the, the biggest thing that people want to be able to do now, as as we've started to see the market evolve to a point where, like, you know, the the market is still early, but a lot of people have started to invest in in their data architecture. Is how do I get value out of it? And I think one of the problems that that they've seen is like while the the data engineers and data scientists that uh, that they have in house are building these really cool models, the problem is like they've built a ton of models, but very few get into production. Mm-hmm. And then and then secondly, the models that have been produced are usually um, are usually channel specific or channel dependent right so they'll look at like product recommendations or content recommendations that happen natively within like a site or, or an app and then they'll try to transpose that onto a marketing channel and it doesn't work like that right like you have you you have to think differently and so the the nice thing about fedora um, which you know we've now kind of branded Cortex, which is is their uh, their set of machine learning pipelines, is that you don't necessarily have to choose, right? Mm-hmm. You can, as a marketer, run run these models in in Vedora um, or create these models in Vedora, make them. Uh, like easily sync them into into M particle and, and and activate them and get the feedback loop, and then you can export feature. You can export the models as features onto their like proprietary internally built models, mm-hmm. which take into account um, the different channels. And the reason this has to happen in a CDP and it can't happen in one of these marketing tech applications is because we see more channels, right? We're able to unify paid advertising with like the the, the the retention channels with customer support channels with loyalty channels with you know um, with native channels and and then some and so there's no there's no individual application that has built as robust a set and, and diverse and, and and deep of um, of connectors that that ultimately we have
0: Super fascinating. I, I have like a list of ten questions that I'd, uh, <laughs> if if we had more time to to dive in there. Like honestly, like I. I look at your, your site and like recently not rebranded, but like added a bunch of like AI powered and like AI terminology in like your H1s and your H2s across the site. And like every other MarTech company is doing the same thing, right? Like Braze is adding like AI powered and we're adding like propensity models and iterable has that as like a premium, premium feature as well. But like the way you just broke it down for the audience like, it's, it's so unique and it's so much more powerful than how easy it is for every other company to just say that like they, they're AI powered, especially the ones that are just like sitting on top of GPT and like there's a lame copy uh, assistant in, in the product, like, All these tools are saying they're AA powered, but like, I don't know, like the functionality there, the different types of models that you broke down. Plus also the fact that it's not channel specific, like that's the problem with Braze. And that's the problem with like all the other tools that are doing this just for like one little niche part of their kind of like Martech specific um yeah i don't know like uh, i I'll, I'll chat with your your product marketer and, and give them some feedback about like how how to like break this down for marketers because like the folks are hungry for this like uh the fact that you guys are doing this and not enough like martech folks that i've chatted with like even know this exists or it's like it's a possibility um yeah is super exciting to hear
1: yeah yeah I, and look i would honestly i i'd love to take you up on that there's there's always an opportunity for us to to up level our own our own marketing so um i appreciate that
0: yeah, cool. I want to touch on uh, value-based pricing. I know you guys uh, released that recently. Like we talked about warehouse native a little bit, and and the pricing right. structure there, and no longer relying on kind of database size. But like you, uh, you guys also made some noise in, in the martech pricing space recently, innovating in uh, how you unbundle uh, some of your pricing model. Uh, this is kind of a huge departure. Like when I was diving into it, I was pretty surprised that like not uh, more companies are, are doing this. Like a big departure from user. based based profile and event based profile, you're combating kind of like the composable argument of all in one vendor lock-in by enabling teams to purchase credits applicable to any components within the MParticle platform. Can you walk us through like the philosophy behind this change and, and why you're excited about it?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm excited about it because it's not just this, um, superficial kind of like repackaging of the way that we price, um, there, there's a ton of innovation that, that actually allows this to, um, to, to, to materialize. And, and also there's a number of like second order benefits that have come about as a result of, um, I, I think about it as like de, de-averaging or de-aggregating pricing. So I, I think for, for most marketing tech uh, vendors, charging on users or events is fairly straightforward because it's it's currency right like everybody most most the vast majority of organizations understand either like their total event volume or and or their total user volume like how big is my audience the problem with that is that not all events are of equal value not all users are of equal value not all use cases are are of equal value, and when you treat everything as this like one size fits all approach, it just like it creates this logjam through the system, and the, the the crux of the problem is that this logjam ends up um, undermining the ability to to provide marketers with the the appropriate set of solutions. Um, and so one of the, one of the arguments of the, the, like the, this verse CTL data warehouse ecosystem, it's like CDPs are, are limited because they don't have all your data. Why, why don't they necessarily have all your data? Because typically like it comes down to how they price because the systems haven't been architected in a way where it actually makes sense for them to have all your data or like the vast majority. Of of your data, and when we started to analyze how our customers were using NParticle, what we saw was like three very distinct use cases. We saw customers who were using us to be able to um, uh, in real time federate out events to a bunch of different like analytics and measurement services, and we were we were basically like uh, an event bus in mm-hmm. in that case, like. The nature of, of those engagements was for us to be able to construct consolidate a number of um, event streams and provide like a customer data pipeline. Um, the next use case was like, well, I don't just want to forward data on and kind of treat my my data in as like ephemeral in nature, like I want to maintain a copy of it because downstream systems, like the applicate the, the applications, they can go down. Their APIs can be non-responsive. There may be system maintenance. There's any number of things that can happen, and so I want to I want to create a copy of that data so one I can do um, a historical lookup by, by customer and see everything that they've that they've done. But I also want to create redundancy um, and improve my my safety of margins um, in in my overall stack. So if something goes down. I don't have, like, I don't have to deal with this, like, lack of continuity. And so that's, like, the second use case. And then the third was all around, like, targeting and personalization. And the thing with that is, like, that's where the really expensive, like, high cost of compute um, Mm -hmm. functionality comes into play. Every time you're looking back and you're processing events as they're coming in and saying, does this user qualify for this audience or journey? Or does, do I need to update um, this dynamically updating field like customer lifetime value like that becomes expensive, right? And and so, um, reappropriating the data into like their different swim lanes ultimately meant that like number one we could unclog the pipes, right? So the the data that needed to move fast out of the system could move fast out of the system. The data that could be that needed to be copied could be copied. The data that need needed to be treated in a way that um, it, it could be easily leveraged for audiences and um, journeys and calculated attributes and all the personalization capabilities we would appropriate, well, we allow our customers to appropriate which data points go go there. And what that did was, um, especially in like the third use case, it allowed us to remove previously imposed system limitations. So we were able to extend the look back window on real time audiences from at most 90 days to now we can do it in in perpetuity without sacrificing performance because we're unclogging the pipes, right? Um, We're able to accelerate the time to audience calculation and, and refresh. And that's like one of the dirty secrets of both the CDP space and the reverse ETL space you talk to any of the customers of any of those reverse etl vendors it'll take it takes four or five days to get audiences from the warehouse into whatever the downstream tool is like that's that's bs we're doing it in as close to real time as the downstream system will allow us to 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 do
0: it super cool appreciate the the background on all the innovation there it's easy to just like look at the new pricing page and say like all right like yeah this is the product marketer that like redid the pricing model there but like no like there's there's a ton of not just like listening to customers and unpacking the use cases but enabling the the new way of of pricing this like it was uh, a lot uh, harder than it is to say so yeah i appreciate that it's a really cool um we're, we're super close on time. There, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about Yeah, One of the coolest discoveries when digging into your socials is that uh, you actually created Tech for Black Founders. Uh, you got together with a list of data vendors to provide free software for early stage, led Black Founders as part of an initiative to to support Black technologists and entrepreneurs who currently only make up like less than 1% of founders backed by venture capital in the US. Uh, would love for you to spend a bit of time uh, walking us through that, that journey there and unpacking that.
1: I mean, it, it started with like an idea in the shower. I think this is like 2020 and, you know, this was like at the, at the peak of like the social unrest. And yeah. Yeah. I, I was just thinking like, you know, we're, we're building this great company. How, how can we serve the community better? Right. Cause a, a, any company has a number of stakeholders that, that you have to serve. You have, your customers, your employees, your partners, your investors, and you have your community, right? And so like, oh what if what if we closed a bit of like the, the equity gap by making our um, our services which usually cost large enterprises, you know, six, seven figures, what if we made them in a limited capacity available to to the underrepresented and i started a a group text with bill magnuson from from Braze and spencer from amplitude and um, mike Molinette from from branch and i think a couple others and just like laid it out and i was like would you guys be down to to do this and everybody responded within like a minute like yes let's let's do it and so we we slapped together like a very simple page um, that basically said like, "Hey, a- apply to any of these any of these uh, products on 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 their sites, and like you'll you'll get if you meet these conditions, you'll you'll get like a free instances of of the software or softwares." Um, and within like a week, it just kind of like it, it went viral. We had I think like fifty or hundred companies reaching out to, to us to say like, Hey, this is a really good idea. I want to be able to do the same thing. Hmm. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own. I don't even know. I think that there's hundreds of companies that make their, their services available for black and other minority um, tech founders. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's the least we can do.
0: Yeah. That's super powerful. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for, for doing that. Walking us through that. Uh, yeah. When I discovered that, I was uh like, why, why don't more companies do this? Like, I think it's a, a fascinating idea and, and crazy that it it all started from a from a shower thought. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the best the best thoughts aren't like when you're jumping zoom to zoom to zoom, right? It's like it's when you have time to decompress.
0: Definitely. On the topic of uh, decompressing, I've got one one last question for you. Uh, you're a founder, a CEO, a writer, a sports fanatic, a dad, an animal shelter volunteer, a mentor, a board of directors member. Like you've clearly got a lot of shit going on. Like one question we ask all of our guests is, "How do you remain happy and successful in your career? How do you find balance between all the things you're working on while staying happy?"
1: Um, well, I enjoy what I do, right? Like that's that's the kind of simple fact of it, and like I, I do have to prioritize what, what I do. So, like, of all those things that you mentioned, like, dad first, right? Like, that's, that's my most important job. That's job number one. After that, then I get into, like, CEO, board member, whatever else. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think having done this long enough, you know, I don't always take my own advice here, but um, the the goal isn't to become like really good at like navigating the ups and downs of company building and, and and the entrepreneurial journey. It's about transcending that and hopefully getting to a point of equanimity where you're not necessarily phased by the, by the ups and downs. And like, for, for me, you know, I had one of my friends said this, um, if, if you're familiar with, uh, uh, Lupe Fiasco, and I always quote yeah. this because I just like I love it. He said he said to me over dinner one time, um, "It's not the pursuit of happiness; that's that's a trap. The pursuit is happiness, mm-hmm. right? So you have to find joy and meaning and growth in whatever you're doing, and if you don't, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Like people ask me because we're on your tent how long are you going to do this for? What's the outcome? What are you going to do? And, and my response is like, look, as, as long as I'm fired up every Monday morning, as long as I have anxiety every Friday that we didn't get enough stuff done, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm exactly where, where I need to be. When those things start to flip-flop, then I really have to ask that question of like, how much longer am I going to do this? <laughs>
0: Love it. Super powerful advice. Uh definitely appreciate that. The the happiness is in the pursuit of happiness itself. But love that you mentioned dad is the the number one job there. But I appreciate you prioritizing podcast guest uh today on, on your your many lists of, of shit to to do as well. Michael, this has been super fun conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
1: Likewise, thanks for having me.
0: Cool, any, anything uh, you want to plug the audience, by the way, before we go? Uh, any, any exciting things that are launching uh, around the time that we're dropping this? Um,
1: yeah, look out for some really exciting announcements um, from, from us in, in September that will continue to expand on the thing I said around like, where do we create value and how do we tap in, how do, how do we um, transpose our services and the places where we do add value not just on our own data store, but really any data store, including the data warehouse ecosystem. So stay tuned. You're going to see some cool shit from MParticle.
0: Awesome. Super excited. Uh, Yeah, I'll keep tabs for sure. Thanks again, MK. This is super fun.
1: Anytime.